Welcome to episode number 99 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is a podcast where we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about the design and use of non-sparking tools in hazardous areas. We're doing that with Hector Maggie, Managing Director of TFT Pneumatic, based out of Houston, Texas. Hector, thank you for coming on the Dust Safety Science Podcast today. Thank you for having me, Chris. It's a pleasure to be with you and your audience. I'm really excited to have Hector on. Those of you that have been listening to the podcast for 99 episodes now will know we cover process safety, combustible dust safety, hazard assessment, incident investigations, lots of things around that scope. We also like to introduce and talk about, I'll say new technologies, but new to us technologies, technologies that are being used in industries handling combustible dust that the audience may not um, know about or use. We've done that back in episode 51 with the use of rotary vacuum dryer filters. Uh, with Stephen Kasich from Osprey Filters. In episode 85, we talked about using superheated steam in dryers to prevent fires and explosions with Prem Verma of Swedish Exergy. Uh, and recently in episode 94, we talked about the use of 3D scanning and processing facilities with Casey Shockey from Chief Engineering. And this is one of those episodes where I'm really going to be learning as we go. The use of non-sparking tools, what they are, how they're used, what the applications are is a pretty new field to me. Um, Hector reached out a little while back, and we had some discussions kind of behind the scenes on how these are used and can be used in hazardous areas, and I really want to get them on the podcast to talk about that today. So we're going to cover what are non-sparking tools, what kind of applications are they used in, how do they work, um, what does the certification process look like, what are some of the price considerations between your traditional tools and these sort of non-sparking tools, and what kind of successes you've seen in industries handling combustible dust using these sort of tools. So Hector, I think the the best spot just to get jumping in is what is a, a non-sparking tool? I mean, those words, even when they go together, sometimes people may think of a grinder or a cutting disc or a polishing operation. Think of sparks. What is the difference between this and what we're calling these non-sparking tools? Well, basically, the difference is that non-sparking tools do not generate neither the heat nor the energy and temperature to create an ignition. So when you're thinking about uh, you know, using a hammer and striking down a piece of metal, while you may not be generating temperature right off the bat, at the time you hit that piece of metal, you're creating energy. And that energy may trigger an ignition. The way we see that energy eventually is, is through a spark, for example. The idea behind the non-sparking tool is that all considerations are taken so that the design of the of the tool cannot trigger an ignition. This really applies to you know hydrocarbon rich environments as much as it applies for dust explosive environments. Depending on the certification for the tool, you know uh, a tool that is used in hydrocarbon rich environments could also be used in in, in dust explosive environments. And when we were discussing before, there are really two things you hit on, and I think you set them there, but I just want to want to break them out. There's a, a surface temperature, like does the surface of the tool get hot right. enough to ignite these hazardous areas? But then there's also the hot sparks or the hot bits of material that get kind of chewed off. And the, the non-sparking tools are really trying to stop both of those, both the hot surface and these um, hot sparks from shooting out. Absolutely. We should probably, non-sparking tools, I think, is a bit of a misnomer um, in, in terms of, I think they have a better technical classification uh, being used in cold work. Can you just give us an idea what that is 
I think generally they're called non-sparking tools, but they do actually emit fragments, but the fragments are just cool, I guess. Is there a, can you go into that a little bit? Absolutely. The the re, the proper term that that I think is is the most valid term, uh, you know, what I would call them is certified cold work grinders. By introducing the word certified, you know, you're talking about a third party really testing this this tools. So a certified cold work grinder may uh, generate some heat, you know. Uh, for example, the, the, there's a, a branch within the, the certified grinders that, that are sparkless grinders. Let, let's talk about sparkless grinders for a second. A sparkless grinder is a grinder that does not generate neither the heat nor the temperature or energy to create an ignition. So with a regular grinder, let's say your, your four and a half inch DeWalt grinder, you know, you buy it at the, any hardware store for say 50 bucks or a hundred bucks. The, and you start grinding down. So eventually that part is going to get very, very hot. Uh, the part where the, the actual, you know, grinding disc is, is touching the surface. And it may be, you know, 200 degrees Fahrenheit or, or, or so, over 100 degrees, well above 100 degrees Celsius. And uh, But the sparks, as they fly out, the farther they fly, the hotter they burn. So if, you're, you're, if that spark is flying out six meters, 18 feet or so, that spark may generate in excess of 2,000 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, and at 2,000 degrees Celsius, which is well over 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So the farther away it flies, the hotter it burns. When you're talking about a sparkless grinder, a certified cold wire grinder, for instance, you're talking about a tool that regardless if you're an inch away directly on the metal piece, an inch away or 16 feet away, the, the temperature will not get above um, 100-ish uh, centigrades. Uh, so that spark that flew at 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit suddenly becomes you know, 100 or 200. So in, in terms of millijoules, our, uh, the, the sparkless grinders that, that I'm describing, they may create 0 0.007 millijoules as maximum energy when the amount required to create an ignition would actually be 0 0.07. So by adding an extra zero, you're actually a thousand times, you're producing a thousand times less energy than the one required to create an ignition. Yeah, I, like, I just wanted to highlight that because people think about using a grinder, they are likely thinking about those big sparks that are kicking off. Uh, if you go with a grinding disc and, and use it to cut a pipe or even at home in your, your workshop, you have the sparks fly up, but it's that plus the surface temperature of the disc and the motor and the motor casing and the housing and the cord. Those all are included in these systems when they're certified as not being able to generate ignition source in a hydrocarbon environment or in a combustible dust environment. So all those things need to be considered. And you talked a bit about the kind of temperatures you'd be looking at with these sparks several thousand degrees Celsius. We appreciate you converting from Fahrenheit to Celsius for the Canadian and, and uh, European listeners as well. And the, the hot service temperatures, trying to keep both of those down. You mentioned grinding disks already, but what, what kind of other applications are these sort of um, certified cold work tools or, or non-sparking tools used in? Let's say, for example, they can be used to, to do any kind of material removal. So you have grinding, you also have a cutting, so we can, you know, those type of tools are good to be used on, you know, cutting off a flange, 
cutting off bolts. In the in the area where I'm located in the in the Gulf of Mexico in Houston, there's a lot of offshore platforms that work in in you know in classified environments that where there's a lot of corrosion. And um, so one of the aspects of this particular tools is that they're really good surface prep tools. And um, so how this translates to, to dust explosive environments is, for instance, this sparkless, uh, sparkless grinders, certified cold work grinders. In this particular case, they've been certified as well to, to, um, to perform in, in dust explosive environments, potentially dust explosive environments. So whether it's a uh, sugar mill, which uh, is, is, is an area where, where I personally have worked uh, before, whether you're talking about a paper mill, or you're talking about any other different type of facilities, these grinders bring an added aspect of, of safety. So one of the biggest concerns that uh, users have when they're working in this type of environments is the need for a hot work. So when you're talking about a hot work, jobs suddenly become so much more complicated because you have to either shut down, clean up, or generally speaking, do procedures in a very different way. Uh, solely because there's a risk of, of explosion or ignition. Uh, when you're working in a sugar mill, for example, and you have a conveyor belt system that is constantly dropping down sugar on an elevator system perhaps uh, as well, um, it doesn't matter how much you clean up. There's always the chance of, of those very violent uh, dust explosions. These particular tools have been designated as cold work tools, and they have been approved and they are certified to work in such very tough environments. People tend to underestimate, and I, I'm sure you probably see it, and, and, and your listeners see it all the time, um, how violent those uh, dust explosions can be and how they can occur basically out of thin air. Yeah, I would say both and how rapidly they can, they can escalate. And we see it with Hot work is is one of the most frequently cited ignition sources or ignition conditions for for dust explosions during operations. So very commonly, if you have a fire, you may have somebody go and disperse that dust and have an explosion. That's one type. You may have a smoldering combustion inside ductwork, inside a a hammer mill, inside a big piece of equipment. You turn on ducting that blows and disperses the dust. That's another type. But what we see a lot of as well are hot work being applied, um, could be welding, could be cutting, could be drilling, and that leads to the ignition source inside of a silo, inside of a tank, inside of a drum. You have the head of a, you know, the, the hot metal from a grinding or cutting operation fall into a um, hopper that's containing, say, sawdust, and that gets dispersed up into the air, and that causes an explosion. So hot work is right up there with one of the leading causes of, of these type of explosions. As you mentioned, there's a couple of things here about hot work. So in order to avoid this, what do we have to do? Well, we need to shut down the operation. We need to remove any fuel before it happens. We need a program in place to manage the hot work, the employees, and train them on it. We need somebody to watch out for fire watch. There's all these things that come in when you need to do hot work in your application. And I think that's really where these type of cold work tools come in. Because then if you're using a certified cold work tool, you remove that ignition source you don't need as many layers of protection in your hot work program. Um, do you see that as something, you know, a selling point if, if uh, we want to use that word for using these type of tools that you don't need to go through so much process when you're doing your hot work operations? Most definitely. I think that's, 
one of the biggest advantages. You know, for example, let's talk about a paper mill. You know, there's a hydrocarbon rich environment there and then have to have a hot work permit. So in order to have that hot work permit, it may involve them shutting down a part of the mill for, you know, maybe hours or maybe days at a time. So just that shutdown by them by itself is extremely costly. You know, you're, you're not only having a loss of, of production, but, but you're having a loss of income. And a lot of people tend to think that, well, it's normal, you know, you have to do that type of work uh, in order to, to, you know, keep the facility operational. But the reality is that if you're able to minimize that downtime while still being safe, you're able to maximize your, your um, efficiency. So a, a few years back, we had a company which, uh, you know, the ignition source was gas and natural gas, that is. And these guys wanted to replace a firewall. And, uh, and that firewall was initially welded on. So they needed to cut it off. And um, this facility was, um, it, it cost a, lar- a very large amount of money to keep it down, to keep it shut. And um, they were into the millions of dollars by the time that the project was was set up. So what we did is we said, hey, why don't you go ahead and use this cold cutting tools, remove that wall, and then instead of welding it again, which they would have needed a hardware permit for, bolt it. So they did exactly that. They they removed the wall. The, the new wall that they were bringing in, they actually had it pre-drilled at an, at an outside location. And when they brought it in, they just had to do a fastening uh, procedure, and um, and they were able to sell to save hundreds, uh, I'm sorry, millions of dollars. Generally speaking, not using a hardware permit or not requiring a hardware permit is tremendously advantageous. Not not only on the on the safety side, um, but also on the on the efficiency and the and the cost savings. It's actually our best selling point. Not too long ago in the Gulf of Mexico, there was a fire again. And the people tend to, to underestimate dust explosions and uh, really focus on, on gas explosions and hydrocarbon explosions, but it happens across the board. Anyway, this particular guys at, um, decided that it was okay to perform a cutting job on a pipe. That pipe had previously had hydrocarbons, so they locked, they had all their locks in place and all their all their safety uh, measures in place, but somehow one of the parties, uh, there were multiple contractors involved, one of the parties decided that it was okay to clear a lock and they basically opened up, they removed the tag lock and they opened up a valve while the guys were cutting with a, with a traditional grinder. So the moment that the product hit the sparks, the whole thing ignited, there were multiple people killed. Had they been using our tools, uh, the sparkless grinders, they would have realized that there's a large amount of hydrocarbon fuel or, or, or whatnot coming out of the pipe and sure, would have been a, a, an, an incident, but not one that would have ignited the, the source and killed, I think there were four or five people killed uh, that particular day just because somebody was not uh, focusing. So one of the things that the tools will allow is that they're very forgiving in the sense that you know, you do not need to be as concerned because they are classified as cold work. 
Yeah, and I think that explains kind of the the why behind UD behind considering these type of tools. Safety is you know the, a, a big aspect of it, obviously. And you kind of mentioned an interesting thing that you'll you'll notice upset conditions more more broadly, and even before you have ignition. So that's a good you know point for that. But also the the point that if you are doing a, a proper hot work system, which I, I hope everyone listening to this podcast is, this can drastically reduce the requirements of that system. I want to go in sort of two directions here because I know our audience is generally pretty technical by nature. They'll be interested in the, the certification process. So I really want to go down track A, which is talking about, well, how does how do these tools work? Um, and then track B, which is about the certification process and, and what that looks like for these types of tools. For the starting part, can you kind of walk through how these grinders or, or polishing discs or drilling discs, what kind of technologies are used so that they are non-sparking and so that they can um, keep the surfaces temperatures down and, and how they actually work at the end of the day? So essentially what they are is uh, low speed grinders. You know, the maximum speed that they will rotate at is 3000 RPM. We do not use abrasives. We use a proprietary alloy based on tungsten. This this alloy is very unique. It's it's not just your run-of-the-mill carbide at lower speed. It's it's a proprietary alloy that uh, took a very long time to actually come up with. So that's number so low speed proprietary uh, alloys, and then the third one is we have a uh, patented cutting shapes on our on our devices on our on our tooling that means that no teeth hits the same speed, uh, point or area twice so by minimizing friction we we minimize uh, temperature and by minimizing both of them we we really minimize the possibility of an ignition source um, those are the three secrets behind the the tool and and their components Essentially, if you were to ask me how to best describe this tool, I would say, you know, certified cohort grinders. But the, the term that people will really relate to is either a sparkless grinder or essentially a portable milling machine. You know, it's, it's uh, essentially what they are. They will remove material upon contact without much effort. And um, compared to a traditional, uh, say, you know, carbide, tip you know one of those famous rotating files you, that you can buy for a few bucks um if you heat them up enough and i mean just run them for a couple minutes uh you will burn them and and this the sharp edge will be gone and the sharp edge is gone after a few minutes so compare that couple minutes of operations to the you know we can get up to a thousand man hours uh, continuously on, on work with one of our files. So 15 minutes or five or 10 minutes opposed to up to 50, opposed to up to 1000 man hours. It's really a completely different approach towards, um, using, um, you know, this type of, of, of tools that people have known for a while, but, um, you, you, as, as, as your audience, audience may, may know, Carbide does generate sparks, you know, and they're hot sparks at, at that. So um, we just have a very different approach with um, with a few things that make our technology uh, quite unique. Yeah, so I have the three kind of things listed, a lower speed, and this kind of makes sense, right? If you're 
you said it well, it's like a building machine. So if you're using something that's high speed, then it's more likely to tear the material off repeatedly and throw those hot hot sparks and hot pieces of material off. So low speeds, um, proprietary alloys, and also patented cutting shapes so you're not continuously hitting the same spot over and over again. And you set it up at the start. There's really two things we're trying to do. One, reduce the friction, and two, I think, reduce that kind of tearing a material off. Yes, by by not having by having the tool only touch the metal in one spot once only, you minimize the heat. You minimize you minimize the friction. By minimizing the friction, you minimize the heat, and by minimizing the heat, you minimize the risk of ignition. So it's kind of like a, a chain process. Well, that makes sense. Is there any other kind of um, auxiliary features that you can use to keep the tools cooler, or is there cases where you'll need like I think a lot of industries, you might use like a water, um, you might have a saw and you might have water that pours on it to keep it cool. Are there cases where you have something similar with these sort of tools or how does that work? So for example, our grinders are certified without without the use of water. Uh, our cutting systems do require a little bit of water. And by a little bit, I mean, it's, uh, it's a nozzle spray, essentially a gallon uh, or 3.8 liters uh, every 45 minutes. And um, it's very basically a drip or, or a heavy mist, if you must. And um, essentially, is you know, if you, and, and it's only used when you're cutting into pipe. Let's say you're going to cut into a pipe that is a hydrocarbon, a gas is inside, and, and, and whatnot. The rotating file or the disc may not create the ignition, but actually, the pipe itself, you know, pipe rubbing against pipe may trigger that ignition. So for sole that purpose for that sole purpose is that our certification has to include a little bit of water. In some instances we have worked with uh, some companies that their main concern is not a hydrocarbon explosion, but is a dust explosion. And for that type of environment, there is, you know, we can look at, at uh, options that may not include what we have as a, as a water controller box, but where you may be able to use the tools as a standalone uh, tool. So there's options, um, there's um, different uh, routes that we can that we can follow and, and um, it's important to understand what job is gonna be, be happening, where and what the concern is. You know, if it's a dust explosion, you know, we can achieve the, the same cold work result. It may not be using a, a cutting tool, it may be using a grinder. And um, one thing that that, uh, that, uh, that slipped my mind for a second is when we're talking about a cold work, we're talking about not using a hardware permit. We do not need fire watches, fire guards. So essentially the personnel that is sitting idle or standing idle, uh, waiting for something to go wrong, you know, they have to be under toes, but, but um, essentially they're, they're idle. They can actually be doing something more uh, important. So there's a number of, of uh, things. And, and, so. and I've heard it explained before in terms of the, like you were saying about the cutting disc requiring water and that not being because of the disc, but because of the material. If you're cutting through a pipe and you get to that, so say a quarter inch pipe, get to the very last millimeter of that or quarter millimeter, that little piece of material is going to, no matter how slow you're going, it's going to snap off. And that's the hot piece that can, you know, ignite something. So 
I can't remember if it was with talking with you or someone else, but somebody mentioned that's really the piece why I use those water cooling systems. It's not really the tool that's generating sparks, but it's that last piece of pipe that you're cutting through um, that can can be the ignition source. Is that is that correct? That's completely accurate. You know, by having a little bit of water, what we're trying to do is to minimize, you know, any kind of friction between the material and having that that lubrication in place and, and essentially, you know, uh, preventing it from, from happening. So we're taking a very proactive approach and the chances of it happening are, are, are slim. And I mean, really, really slim. But, um, you know, one of the other things that, that we do is, you know, we have all of our tools uh, grounded. You know, our tools should be grounded before, before being used. And, and for such as we use, you know, we use or we recommend our cutting systems include them. But um, we recommend the use of, um, of a steel belt uh, armored hoses, essentially. And they have a metal jacket inside and they can be earthed. And, uh, you know, not too long ago, I was pulling the sheets while I was going to bed. It was pitch dark and I could see uh, light coming in, you know, from, from the sheets. And it was static energy. So static energy can trigger ignitions. And um, so it's it's something that needs to be taken into account. You know, the you never know. Nobody thought, you know, 50 years ago that sugar could cause, you know, a, a, such a volatile ignition or be such a, a, an ignition source. And here we are. You know, there's multiple casualties and fatalities worldwide, essentially on a, ba- on a daily basis. And um, it's many things that are overlooked that uh, it has been our focus to to stay on top of and really try to provide the the users with you know that's the safest possible avenue uh, towards any maintenance repair repair modification job uh, where they deem it's in their best interest to either not shut down the facility or approach the job in the safest uh, manner not too long ago in Utah, we had an application on a, on a gold mine. And uh, these guys have a tank where they have unknown uh, substance inside. They didn't know if it was fuel. It had been there for 20 years. All drones were lost. Personnel had changed. So the new personnel did not know what was inside. And uh, they called us out. We supplied them with, uh, with equipment. And their main concern was that initial cut. So they opened up a, you know, a one meter by one meter, so three feet by three feet uh, manhole or window. And, um, and it turned out that upon inspection, it was a hydrocarbon that was inside. Had they gone with a traditional grinder, they would have blown up the facility. So not too long ago, we had this uh, a sugar mill that we worked on in, in Michigan and they had to do a repair and for that repair they were just concerned with you know sugar being able to 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 catch on, on fire they were close to a conveyor belt system and to some um, and to some elevator systems and um, we talked to them they they analyzed the approach and they said hey this is the way to go and they were able to avoid completely hardware permits you know shutdowns uh, fire watches, fire guards, 
and all the essential, you know, for example, with a, don't go too far, you know, if, if, if you're talking about a, a grinder and a spark flies 18 feet away, uh, you have to look at the, at the isolation of that uh, area. The kind of, of um, pieces that fall out or that fly out from the, the, the tools that uh, we use, the, you know, it's all contained within about a foot. So any, if anything flies, and I mean paint, rust, it typically flies maybe two or three inches, and then it immediately drops down to the floor. So it's essentially a, a very interesting approach. We talked about the certification process a bit. What does it look like and how are you guys getting your certifications for these, these tools and, and what use cases are they certified for? So it's really tough to get a certification on this type of, of machines. We were the company that broke through on these systems close to 20 years ago. And the interesting thing about it is that in the U.S., there's no mechanical risk technicians considerations in the, in the regulations. So we actually were able to break through in Europe. Uh, Europe was the first place that considered mechanical risk ignitions as a source of uh, potential, um, igni- as a potential ignition source. And that was the way that we were able to get our tools certified, you know, back in the, back in the day. What it involved was a very, very complicated and, and um, complex process. You know, these tools, you have the possibility, on a regular grinder, you have the possibility of an ignition source at the, at the tool, then you also have another possible ignition source in the contact area, you know, the grinder meeting the metal piece. But you also have the continuity from that piece, from the grinding area, you know, 15, 18 feet away uh, with that spark flying. So in essence, the, the technology to, 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 to look up into it, it's, it's essentially infrared temperature sensing technology where you're able to follow through the whole process, uh, the maximum temperatures. Um, the other part that is, is very important is, you know that if the mix is too rich in gas or if it's too lean, the, the ignition may not take place. And um, so one of the things that we did on purpose uh, is Every single test that we have done has been always at stoichiometric values, which is essentially the perfect mixture between air and uh, and that combustible um, substance, that hydrocarbon in this case, and um, at perfect, uh, you basically snap your finger and it and it uh, ignites. Is that we have done all our all our testing. So pressure controlled surfaces, pressure controlled environments where the mixture of of um, uh, the stoichiometric mixture is is uh, on point is is what we what we do and you know we've tested all sorts of different ignition uh, you know ignitable materials we've tested you know from natural gas methane uh, acetylene acetylene is just about as volatile as it gets and in every single case uh, through a through a very long and tedious process we were able to do safely the the material removal, cutting, grinding, surface preparation, and uh, and that was you know many many years ago. And uh, up to this date, we're coming up on twenty years, and um, 
working daily worldwide, we have never managed to create an ignition. It doesn't matter if it's a paper mill, a sugar mill, any area where there's dust explosive environments, uh, you know, a gas platform, uh, a refinery, chemical plant, nuclear plants. We've worked with uh, mine, you know, coal mines uh, throughout the U.S., and um, we've never managed to create an ignition. So there's been in our history, and you know, we knock on wood, of course, not a single recordable incident with our company up to date. Oh, that's good to hear. It's good to hear a bit about the certification process, um, how it might be different for combustible dust and combustible gases, how the uh, testing requirements, you know, are, are focused on those areas. Are there different testing requirements for gases and and dust? I'm thinking, you know, dust getting inside the machine and and causing it to overheat that way. Are there are things that you're looking at there? Absolutely. You know, the first area where we focused is back in the day was uh, hydrocarbon rich environments. That was the main concern. That was what was really a problem that we were able to identify. Well, the years passed, we got inquiries from companies that were interested in using our tools, our technology in dust explosive environments. And based on that, we approached the certifying agency again. In this case, it was DMB. And uh, we talked to them about the possibilities of the tools being used in dust explosive environments. They took a, a, a look. They said, yes. So they designed a very specific set of testing and uh, replicated the same tough conditions. And um, we were never able to get an ignition. And the tools, after going all through, through all the testing, they were uh, certified. You gotta come. You gotta think of the art tools in a in a way, and uh, you know, in a traditional grinder, a spark will fly 18 feet away, so roughly six meters. If there's a little spark on our tools, it has been identified as a cold spark. There's very different uh, amount of you know. There's very different characteristics between a cold spark and a hot spark. For instance, a cold spark will not burn through you know, a paint system. They do not have neither the energy nor the temperature to create an ignition. They've been validated in the certification. They've been taken into account. And when, if, if you ask me, well, how often can you see them? You know, you may, be, you may go days without seeing them, or you may see one upon turning the machine and putting it to, to remove metal. But the, re, the difference between a cold spark that we may see in our, in our tools and a hot spark is massive. You know, a cold spark will fly an inch, maybe two. It's a very different color, and it'll, it'll immediately dissipate. While on a hot spark, the farther away it flies from the machine, the hotter it burns. So let's say that it shot out of the, that metal shard shot out of the machine at, you know, 200 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, centigrade, over 300 uh, Fahrenheit. By the time it traveled 18 feet or six meters, it's already burning at 2,000 degrees Celsius, over 3,500 degrees Fahrenheit. So just a completely different uh, approach. So having that base and being a certified cold work tool allowed us to be able to go into, into a testing with higher hopes of being successful. So since we had higher hopes of being su successful, we approached uh, the testing company and um, having that test designed, you got to think that we were the first company to be doing this 
uh, worldwide. They 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 tested it, and uh, we came out with a, 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 a positive uh, result. You know, we were able to to get this this the certification, and the tools were able to be used in dust explosive environments. Well, that's good. I always like to highlight that they if just because the tool is certified in a, in a combustible gas environment, it needs to be certified for a combustible dust environment. Not necessarily, although maybe I need to think about it a bit more as a tool causing ignition source, but the tool can't allow the dust again trained in the motor, allow that to overheat, or there's other things with dust that, that may cause upset conditions that are different than you'd see with gases. So it's a, it's a different certification process. Um, I think just to kind of close out this interview, what is, I, I'm sure you get this question all the time around pricing, but what is the kind of price difference between sparking and non-sparking tools and what are some considerations that people should be having if they're thinking about um, moving forward this type of technology? The, the difference may be substantial. You know, the, the, it all depends on what you want to do. You know, if you're talking about removing, uh, I was talking to somebody yesterday about removing in a conveyor belt system, a very large amount of uh, bolts. They wanted to cut the, the bolts flush. And um, depending on what it is that you want to do, you know, we have full suitcases, so we have standalone tools. So it really depends. What you got to consider is, is one thing that, that a lot of people miss. And um, when you buy a $100 grinder, and which you may get for 50 bucks. But when I'm talking about a, a, an inexpensive 50, 100, $200 electric grinder, you're also buying into all the unknown costs, which, you know, you bought your $100 grinder, you bought a three or $5 uh, abrasive, but you have to add that that hardware permanent is gonna cost you in one way or another, uh, probably a pretty large amount of money. You're gonna have to have not just one guy doing the job, but maybe one, two, three, four fire guards. And sometimes even at a, bottom, at a floor below, the same floor you're working on and a floor above. You're gonna have to disrupt production. You're gonna have to maybe you know shut down and uh, maybe clean up. The, there's um, a very large things that usually go unaccounted for. You know, People tend to think that just because they can do the job with a $100 grinder, means that they're coming out ahead. Usually when you tally up the cost, and that's what we recommend our customers to do, you you notice fairly quickly that uh, you're paying so much more, just you just don't know about it. And and some people do know about it, you know, but it's the cost of doing business with the existing technology. But technology has far evolved during the last few years. So not too long ago, you know, people were sending faxes, me included. You know, it's I, I no longer think about sending a fax, you know, when I can uh, send an email from my phone. So technology has evolved um, around uh, mechanical and risk ignition uh, areas just as much as it has on, on cell phones. So answering your question spot on, the tools may be more expensive, but... Think of that rotating file that you purchased for 50 bucks that lasted 10 minutes when you can have one that cost you maybe 10 times more, but instead of 15 minutes, it lasted you for a thousand hours. So in, 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 as with things in life, you get what you pay for. And um, what we offer is 
new ways to do uh, repairs, uh, safer ways. You know, uh, back in the day, um, and I don't mean too far ago, there was a coal mine in New Mexico. And that coal mine was shut down for about six months because they had a fire 5,000 feet below, you know, into a mountain 1,000 feet below the earth. They were shut down for about six months. And um, so because they thought that it was a good idea to use a torch and and, uh, the coal wall next to methane rich meth, next to methane rich area so long story short methane ignited it ignited the coal and they had to shut down the facility for six months so had they used a proper tool that was not that much more expensive than than your torch they would have been able to keep that you know their personnel working instead of having to lay them off lay them off so you know the cost definitely justifies the um, the added price on top of your traditional tool. Right. So we covered a couple of things, right? So one, there's a couple different options available. When you said full suitcase, I think that's the tool plus abrasives plus discs. That suitcase would include things like the water application system and that sort of thing. But then you also sell the tools standalone as one, one unit. And then the considerations for that are, you know, including hot work systems, reduced hot work, um, permitting requirements. One that you said was kind of interesting is the ability to do different types of jobs. Like if you need to, in an emergency, go in and cut into a pipe that contains hydrocarbon or a, a, a top of a silo that's having a fire and maybe carbon monoxide buildup, you just wouldn't even be able to do that with a traditional grinder or cutter. It would be far too dangerous. Um, and, and whether or not you know that's in there, but if you do know it's in there, it gives you an ability to do that. Um, you mentioned some other different ways you could uh, tackle things now that you have this technology on disrupting production, responding to incidents. Obviously, when you have a fire explosion, it's going to shut down operation. You need to replace equipment. Those are all things that should go in. Are there any other kind of things you want to talk about in terms of the the pricing? I don't know if the, the best way to get an idea of what things may cost might be to reach out to you directly, or do you have specific things you can share on on the podcast interview today? Yeah, well, we can talk a little bit more specifically about about pricing. For example, just to give you an idea, a an angle grinder will run at about uh, a few thousand dollars, a couple thousand dollars, and, and so. And you can compare that to roughly, you know, a comparable grinder pneumatic may run, you know, a thousand dollars. So it may be about double the cost of that uh, traditional grinder. But it comes with the added safety that it's certified. It's designed specifically to work on demand, you know, it's a very tough, heavy duty industrial tool. So that's the tooling part. When you're talking about uh, the abrasive itself, or the, in our case, the the, the rotating file, um, you know, I mentioned that a regular file, a regular rotating file, rather medium in size, would maybe cost 50 bucks. Call it anywhere from 30 to 80 bucks. So a $50 rotating file, our file may go for It it varies depending on the on the size. And and then you know upwards. The the difference, as I mentioned, is that one may last 15 minutes and ours may last a thousand a thousand hours, man hours. So in essence, every single job that we've managed to to do, the companies have saved a very large amount of, of money. Shutting down 
chemical plant or an area of a chemical plant shutting down you know an, an offshore rig or shutting down a paper mill are completely different you know I, I wouldn't be able to even guess the cost of shutting down you know a, a silo for days at a time or shutting down a, a sugar mill for example but um, generally speaking if you add up the costs you know all the hidden costs of that shutdown were incredibly cheaper incredibly cheaper you know we we get most of the comments that we get on a on a when we get the feedback from the customer is you guys saved us a ton of hours you guys saved us a ton of work and you guys eventually you know uh, uh, evidently saved us hard money you know and it's you know in the in the offshore rigs you're talking to the multi multi-million dollars per day in a paper mill sugar mill you may be talking into the tens or hundreds so uh, you know buying a, a file that may be you know 10 times more expensive than your regular file but the fact that you do not have to use a hardware permit and you're safe to work directly on hydrocarbons and on dust explosive environments you know a second to none you know our tools are not just designed to work close to to these environments we can take our cutting disc and cut open you know a, a natural gas pipe and basically slide it from side to side without using nitrogen. So it's it's really a, a, a mind-blowing technology. You know, the a regular grinder is really a show. You know, it's it's throwing sparks everywhere. It's it's kind of like fireworks. We pride on ourselves on our tools being quite boring. When you use your tools, regardless of where you're using them, there's really nothing going on. You know, you see some, you know, you see the rotating files, the discs cutting, and that's really all you see. You know, a little bit of water in our cutting systems, no water in the grinders. And um, the amount of technology that takes that, that precedes that is just mind-blowing. There's so much engineering. There's so much design. There's so much testing. There's so much certification involved that you know it's it's mind-blowing excellent well i appreciate you taking the time to share this new technology with myself and with the listeners as i, I mentioned at the outset in these sort of episodes i'm learning as much as as anyone i don't have a, a detailed background in these type of tools these type of applications but i think it is important to if anything understand understand the landscape of what the different type of options out there are and and getting people that are you know, experts in that area like yourself on to talk about them, see how they can be applied in new ways in different industries and, and certainly in industries handling combustible dust like we're, we're talking about in this podcast. So I want to say thank you, Hector, for coming on. Um, I appreciate you taking your time. And we will have a, a way for anyone that wants to learn more about TFT Pneumatic or Hector's work there, the tools that they're using, the case studies they've had, we'll have a, a way for them to connect with Hector in the podcast show notes at dustsafetyscience.com slash 99. So Hector, I want to say thank you again for coming on and look forward to continuing to learn more about your technology and how you're using these types of tools in, in industries handling combustible dust. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate your, your time. And most of it, you know, you're looking after the folks out there and showing them ways, you know, to be safer and to be better at their jobs. I appreciate that, Hector. And you have a great uh, day ahead. Thank you. Goodbye. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Hector Maggie, Managing Director of TFT Pneumatic based out of Houston, Texas. We're talking about the design and use of non-sparking tools in hazardous areas. So we started just with the discussion about what a quote-unquote non-sparking tool is. 
this is sort of a, a misnomer in one way, but is the kind of car, you know, sparkless tools, kind of the common terminology it's used. And what they are is certified cold work grinders. Uh, and Hector talked through how these systems work, why you consider a cold work tool like this, why you consider a, a non-sparking tool. One, they're, they're safer. Two, they open up to new sorts of applications. Emergency response is one of those types of applications. Uh, it reduces the requirements for hot work systems, reduces requirements for shutdown, for fire watch, for managing your hot work permit system. And it's just a, you know, a safer overall solution. Uh, we talked through how the technology works for these systems. We identified a couple of key areas. One, that they're, they're low speed, I'll try to get this right, I think it's low speed, high torque tools where your traditional cutter or grinder would be very high speed. They have proprietary alloys and metals and they have certain different types of cutting shapes to avoid striking the same areas multiple times. What this does is reduces the surface temperature of the tool, also reduces the chance of throwing hot sparks. You may occasionally see these cold sparks shooting out, uh, but the temperature of those sparks is much lower, not high enough to ignite a flammable gas atmosphere or combustible dust atmosphere. Uh, we talked through what certification looks like for these tools and discussed the differences between combustible flammable gas certification, combustible dust certification. Uh, Hector gave us some of the kind of history there, which was interesting to talk through. Um, and we talked about some of the differences in price in these sort of systems. Hector did mention that, you know, if you're talking of one tool to one tool, you might be looking at double the price. If you're talking about the the files and the cutting discs and that, it might be quite a bit more expensive. Um, and if you're looking at the overall system, you know, it's, it's not going to the hardware store and picking up a a $50 grinder and a $10 cutting disc and going back home and, and cutting your thing open. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about precision engineered technology that can be applied to an application in a safe way. And they're just a really different, uh, you know, type of technology. And with that, they need to look at things like your, your hot work application, your hot work programs, what the effect is going to be on your, your production, your technology. And from talking with Hector behind the scenes, I've, I've heard about some of the applications that they're using these for in combustible dust how they're seeing those successes here. So as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. And I really appreciate everything you're doing in industry handling combustible dust, making them safer every day around the world. 